Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. Plato's Dialogue, Gorgias, Part 4 Seeking the definition of rhetoric, Polus, student of Gorgias, asks Socrates to expand on his claim that rhetoric is a type of flattery. What part of flattery is rhetoric? Will you understand my answer? replies Socrates. Rhetoric, according to my view, is the ghost or counterfeit of a part of politics. And is it noble or ignoble? asks Polus. Ignoble, I should say, if I am compelled to answer, for I call what is bad ignoble, though I doubt whether you understand what I was saying before. Indeed, Socrates, says Gorgias, I cannot say that I understand myself. I do not wonder, Gorgias, for I have not as yet explained myself. And our friend Polus, colt by name and colt by nature, is apt to run away. Never mind him, but explain to me what you mean by saying that rhetoric is the counterfeit of a part of politics. I will try, then, to explain my notion of rhetoric. And if I am mistaken, my friend Polus shall refute me. We may assume the existence of bodies and of souls? Of course, said Gorgias. You would further admit that there is a good condition of either of them? Yes. Which condition may not be really good, but good only in appearance? I mean to say that there are many persons who appear to be in good health, and whom only a physician or trainer will discern at first sight not to be in good health. True. And this applies not only to the body, but also to the soul. In either there may be that which gives the appearance of health, and not the reality? Yes, certainly. And now I will endeavor to explain to you more clearly what I mean. The soul and body being two have two arts corresponding to them. There is the art of politics attending on the soul, and another art attending on the body, of which I know no single name, but which may be described as having two divisions, one of them gymnastic and the other medicine. And in politics there is a legislative part which answers to gymnastic, as justice does to medicine. And the two parts run into one another, justice having to do with the same subject as legislation, and medicine with the same subject as gymnastic, but with a difference. Now, seeing that there are these four parts, two attending on the body and two on the soul for their highest good, flattery knowing, or rather guessing their natures, has distributed herself into four shams or simulations of them. She puts on the likeness of some one or other of them, and pretends to be that which she simulates, and having no regard for men's highest interests, is ever making pleasure the bait of the unwary, and deceiving them into the belief that she is of the highest value to them. Cookery simulates the disguise of medicine, and pretends to know what food is the best for the body. And if the physician and the cook had to enter into a competition in which children were the judges, or men who had no more sense than children, as to which of them best understands the goodness or badness of food, the physician would be starved to death. A flattery I deem this to be, 
and of an ignoble sort, Polus. For to you I am now addressing myself, because it aims at pleasure without any thought of the best. An art I do not call it, but only an experience, because it is unable to explain or to give a reason of the nature of its own applications, and I do not call any irrational thing an art. But if you dispute my words, I am prepared to argue in defense of them. Cookery, then, I maintain to be a flattery, which takes the form of medicine. And tiring, in like manner, is a flattery which takes the form of gymnastic, and is knavish, false, ignoble, illiberal, working deceitfully by the help of lines and colors and enamels and garments, and making men affect a spurious beauty to the neglect of the true beauty which is given by gymnastic. I would rather not be tedious, and therefore I will only say, after the manner of the geometricians, for I think that by this time you will be able to follow, as tiring is to gymnastic, so cookery is to medicine. Or rather, as tiring is to gymnastic, so sophistry is to legislation. And as cookery is to medicine, so rhetoric is to justice. And this, I say, is the natural difference between the rhetorician and the sophist. But by reason of their near connection, they are apt to be jumbled up together. Neither do they know what to make of themselves, nor do other men know what to make of them. For if the body presided over itself, and were not under the guidance of the soul, and the soul did not discern and discriminate between cookery and medicine, but the body was made the judge of them, and the rule of judgment was the bodily delight which was given by them, that word with which you, friend Polis, are so well acquainted, would prevail far and wide. Chaos would come again, and cookery, health, and medicine would mingle in an indiscriminate mass. And now I have told you my notion of rhetoric, which is, in relation to the soul, what cookery is to the body. I may have been inconsistent in making a long speech, when I would not allow you to discourse at length, but I think that I may be excused, because you did not understand me, and could make no use of my answer when I spoke shortly, and therefore I had to enter into an explanation. And if I show an equal inability to make use of yours, I hope that you will speak at equal length. But if I am able to understand you, let me have the benefit of your brevity, as is only fair. And now you may do what you please with my answer. What do you mean? asks Polus. Do you think that rhetoric is flattery? Nay, I said a part of flattery. If at your age, Polus, you cannot remember, what will you do by and by when you get older? And are the good rhetoricians meanly regarded in states under the idea that they are flatterers? Is that a question or the beginning of a speech? I am asking a question. Then my answer is that they are not regarded at all. How not regarded? Have they not very great power in states? Not if you mean to say that power is a good to the possessor. And that is what I do mean to say. Then, if so, I think that they have the least power of all the citizens. What? Are they not like tyrants? They kill and despoil and exile anyone whom they please. By the dog, Polis, I cannot make out at each deliverance of yours whether you are giving an opinion of your own 
or asking a question of me. I am asking a question of you. Yes, my friend, but you asked two questions at once. How two questions? Why, did you not say just now that the rhetoricians are like tyrants, and that they kill and despoil or exile any one whom they please? I did. Well, then I say to you that here are two questions in one, and I will answer both of them. And I tell you, Polis, that rhetoricians and tyrants have the least possible power in states, as I was just now saying, for they do literally nothing which they will, but only what they think best. And is not that a great power? Polis has already said the reverse. Said the reverse? Nay, that is what I assert. No, by the great, what do you call him? Not you, for you say that power is a good to him who has the power. I do. And would you maintain that if a fool does what he thinks best, this is a good? And would you call this great power? I should not. Then you must prove that the rhetorician is not a fool, and that rhetoric is an art and not a flattery. And so you will have refuted me. But if you leave me unrefuted, why? The rhetoricians who do what they think best in states, and the tyrants, will have nothing upon which to congratulate themselves, if, as you say, power be indeed a good, admitting at the same time that what is done without sense is an evil. Yes, I admit that, said Polis. How then can the rhetoricians or the tyrants have great power in states, unless Polis can refute Socrates? and prove to him that they do as they will. This fellow, I say that they do not as they will. Now refute me. Why? Have you not already said that they do as they think best? And I say so still. Then surely they do as they will. I deny it. But they do what they think best? Aye. That Socrates, is monstrous and absurd. Good words, good Polis, as I may say in your own peculiar style. But if you have any questions to ask of me, either prove that I am in error, or give the answer yourself. Very well, I am willing to answer that I may know what you mean. Do men appear to you to will that which they do, or to will that further end for the sake of which they do a thing, when they take medicine, for example, at the bidding of a physician? Do they will the drinking of the medicine which is painful, or the health for the sake of which they drink? Clearly the health. And when men go on a voyage or engage in business, they do not will that which they are doing at the time. For who would desire to take the risk of a voyage or the trouble of business? But they will to have the wealth for the sake of which they go on a voyage. Certainly. And is this not universally true? If a man does something for the sake of something else, he wills not that which he does, but that for the sake of which he does it. Yes. And are not all things either good or evil, or intermediate and indifferent? To be sure, Socrates, wisdom and health and wealth and the like you would call goods, and their opposites, 
evils. I should, and the things which are neither good nor evil, and which partake sometimes of the nature of good, and at other times of evil, or of neither, are such as sitting, walking, running, sailing, or again, wood, stones, and the like. These are the things which you call neither good nor evil. Exactly so. Are these indifferent things done for the sake of the good, or the good for the sake of the indifferent? Clearly the indifferent for the sake of the good. When we walk, we walk for the sake of the good, and under the idea that it is better to walk, and when we stand, we stand equally for the sake of the good? Yes. And when we kill a man, we kill him or exile him, or despoil him of his goods, because, as we think, it will conduce to our good? Certainly. Men who do any of these things do them for the sake of the good? Yes. And did we not admit that in doing something for the sake of something else, we do not will those things which we do, but that other thing for the sake of which we do them? Most true. Then we do not will simply to kill a man, or to exile him, or to despoil him of his goods, but we will to do that which conduces to our good. And if the act is not conducive to our good, we do not will it. For we will, as you say, that which is our good. But that which is neither good nor evil, or simply evil, we do not will. Why are you silent, Polus? Am I not right? You are right. Hence we may infer that if anyone, whether he be a tyrant or a rhetorician, kills another or exiles another or deprives him of his property, under the idea that the act is for his own interests, when really not for his own interests, he may be said to do what seems best to him? Yes. But does he do what he wills, if he wills what is evil? Why do you not answer? Well, I suppose not. Then if greater power is a good as you allow, will such a one have great power in a state? He will not. Then I was right in saying that a man may do what seems good to him in a state, and not have great power, and not do what he wills? As though you, Socrates, would not like to have the power of doing what seemed good to you in the state, rather than not. You would not be jealous when you saw anyone killing, or despoiling, or imprisoning whom he pleased? Oh, no! Justly or unjustly, do you mean? In either case, is he not equally to be envied? Forbear, Polis! Why forbear? Because you ought not to envy wretches who are not to be envied, but only to pity them. And are those of whom I spoke wretches? Yes, certainly they are. And so you think that he who slays anyone whom he pleases, and justly slays him, is pitiable and wretched? No, I do not say that of him, but neither do I think that he is to be envied. Were you not saying just now that he is wretched? Yes, my friend, if he killed another unjustly, in which case he is also to be pitied, and he is not to be envied if he killed him justly. At any rate, you will allow that he who is unjustly put to death is wretched, and to be pitied? Not so much Polis as he who kills him and not so much as he who is justly killed. 
How can that be, Socrates? That may very well be, inasmuch as doing injustice is the greatest of evils. But is it the greatest? Is not suffering injustice a greater evil? Certainly not. Then would you rather suffer than do injustice? I should not like either, but if I must choose between them, I would rather suffer than do. Then you would not wish to be a tyrant? Not if you mean by tyranny what I mean. I mean, as I said before, the power of doing whatever seems good to you in a state, killing, banishing, doing in all things as you like. Well then, my illustrious friend, when I have said my say, do you reply to me? Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, twill be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. <laughs>